Hi, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm interested in talking to people who are interested in talking to people who are interested in having a conversation about their future. Does that make any sense? I don't know. Anyway, welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Okay, I'm very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers, Logan Marsh is a global talent acquisition leader and startup advisor. He's held leadership positions at some incredible brands, including Amazon, Microsoft, DocuSign, and Okta. And of course, he started his career in agency recruiting. Oh, and by the way, for you content-hungry TA and recruiting trailblazers out there, he's published some cracking articles on LinkedIn, including The Talent Leader's Playbook, Strategies for Recruiting Success, Founder's Playbook, Revolutionizing Recruitment Technology, and a series of articles on diversity hiring called Philosophy Meets Reality. So welcome to the podcast, Logan Marsh. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Excellent. Happy to have you on this series that I'm doing with TA leaders. We're going to try and keep it to around about 20 minutes. Um, You know, I've got a question bank of about 10 questions and we'll see how far we get through those. So um, I'm really excited to uh, to get started with you, Logan. So let's start sort of macro um, with my first question, which is what is the biggest challenge you think a TA leader faces today, you know, probably from their leadership? um, And what are the keys to navigating that challenge? Gosh, the big, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> although I appreciate it. To be fair and equitable, I think it, it kind of does depend on the organization, what they're going through. But when I think of the macro sort of economics and how we got here uh, from a TA function, this is just how I operate as a leader and where my mind tends to go. It's with people, right? So I think the biggest challenge any TA leader has and leader of people is, creating clarity with business objectives and then goals and then sort of motivating their own teams and aligning them in a way that they can be successful for their for their own career but also as a team i mean that is that has to be sort of the foundation uh and it's also one of the biggest challenges in ta in, in today specifically because their people are being asked to do more with less accountability is the you know buzz phrase of of the year and um, people are tired. Uh, I've talked to some of my own former colleagues, and a lot of us are now on the job hunt, but the ones that are are sort of left behind, if you will, they're having to do the same amount of work in a lot of cases with less. And with a so lot less a, resources. Yeah. And so with a lead, as a leader, um, how do you keep people motivated? How do you keep them with the right mindset that's productive for them and for the business and not have them working in sort of a fear-based mindset, because a lot of them are wondering if their, you know, if their ticket is up next in the layoff line. And that's, that's unfortunate, but it is just part of the reality. So that's probably the biggest one. That's a good answer. So, I mean, yeah, setting clear objectives, aligning your team with those objectives and making sure obviously the rest of the business understands those objectives. But then in this environment, which is a, a very telling remark you made, keeping the recruiters motivated because they're probably doing a lot more work, you know, for yep. the same money or even less money than they were a couple of years ago. So I think that yep. that sets the table nicely for our conversation. Yep. Um, What are you looking for in a recruiter and how do you go about interviewing for it when you're growing your internal talent team? Yeah. I mean, again, I'll go back to what I said right out out of the gate, which is some of it depends on the environment and what you need. Um, But 
aside from that, I think generally speaking, the best recruiters I've ever worked with, I've ever hired, um, recruiters and leaders, to be frank, is is our folks that obviously know the function well, uh, you know, how to source, how to find people, how to have conversations. But really beyond that and what sets the best apart is the folks that have sort of, I always call it the it factor, but really what it is, is more of the soft skills. It's a curiosity. It's a sense of ownership and drive that is sort of innate to the individual that you can suss out through an individual or through an interview where you don't have to really worry as a leader, is this person going to show up to work today? Are they going to give it their best? Because it's just part of who they are. And, you know, I've sort of grew up in the star method of interviewing with, with Amazon, but there's a lot of different ways to draw this information out. Um, and with new, you know, the invent of new technology and AI tools, um, one of my favorite is probably Bright Hire. You can easily see through the data and through interview data, like how people answer questions and then sort of down the line, what are the indicators of success in the actual role themselves? But for me, it comes back to the soft skills. It comes back to the, do, do you get it? Do you, do you want to do work? You don't have to be told what to do. You ask questions. You're curious. You look around corners. You seek to solve problems that you bring to the forefront. Um, and you don't wait to be told what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Um, th- those are very, I mean, that makes me happy <laughs> as a leader of teams like that. And I've had a lot of those folks on my teams. Um, but ultimately, that's what sets them apart. Um, when it's when it's all said and done, yes, I always say passion, persistence, and polish. But I think when you talk about the it factor, there's something there's something quite subjective when you're looking for the it factor because yeah. it's a combination of so many different things. It's it's it is persistence, but it, and it's and it's intelligence and it's sort of you know emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. um, but it's also charisma as well, and it's also yeah. you know those sort of like really hard to pin down communication skills mm-hmm. and. They're very hard to interview for because everybody claims that they've got them. Um, but at the end of the day, you you get a feeling. And and I know there's the, we, we want to get rid of as much recruitment bias as possible and as much subjectivity as possible in the recruitment process. But when you say the it factor, you know, you, you can sort of tell, you can feel whether somebody's got that sort of magical ability to communicate with people, um, you know, really meaningfully. You also see a lot these days, it's becoming more and more popular the psychometric, uh, you know, essentially personality tests that companies um, are asking candidates to take. The the drive and the reason largely behind those is to suss out how is somebody going to do when they're in the role and what is that it factor? Uh, that's what those tests are for. Yeah, there's an intelligence, you know, EQ or IQ portion of it. But it's really trying to suss out what the EQ of the individual is. Is the paper is what's on the paper and the delivery because of that? You know, is it a cause and effect, or is it just sort of random? Um, and and you know, any company knows that hiring is really expensive, and they want to get it right. And so I think that we might see more and more of that as as time goes on. Yeah, and you're talking about tools like the predictive index, um, which rely upon people being honest. And, and I do think there's an ability to fudge those questions. Uh, I've seen it work and I've seen it, you know, directly translate very honestly who an individual is. And I've also seen it fail. I've, I've seen it tell me something that the individual ultimately ended up not being. So 
Um, but I think for the most part, they do work if you encourage people to answer the questions honestly, because otherwise you'll end up in a role that you're not suited for. Well, I mean, you touch on something that's important in every facet of life, at least in my opinion, is, is being honest and, and trust. If you, if you can't do or be either of those, uh, it's going to come out in the wash, whether you landed the role or not. If, if you did so unethically, I guess is how I would put it, it's going to come out. Right. So just be true to who you are, be, you know, be the profession that you are and seek, seek to understand and seek to learn and, and you'll be, you'll be just fine. Big time. Okay. Tricky one. What's the biggest misconception about the TA leadership role, either in externally or both externally and internally? <laughs> Boy, I could go a lot of different directions with that one. <laughs> the biggest misconception, uh, let's say externally first, cause I see it all over LinkedIn these days. Um, and I've seen it in some of the layoffs and sort of the spans and layers exercises is that a leader in TA is not close to the work and therefore not as valuable when things get tough. Uh, I, I posted something on, on somebody's uh, comment post that they had this morning, and it talked exactly about that, which is a lot of companies are wanting to bring uh, TA leaders into the player coach role again, because they want to do more with less. They want them to sort of own racks, if you will. And not only do I think that's a mistake, uh, it's something that, you know, is cyclical. We've done it in the past uh, as an industry, and it tends not to work, which is why it doesn't stick. The best leaders are the ones that are able to remove roadblocks, free up space, and create a clear vision and path forward for their teams. Not to necessarily be sitting right next to them, owning racks w along with them. Can, can, can I do it? Absolutely. Is that what I think my job is these days and where I serve the best value to the business and to my own team? Absolutely not. I need to be at the table with my HR leaders, with the business leaders, with my finance leaders, telling them, this is what the talent market bears. This is how we should go about this. Here's some of the metrics behind it. Here's how we should do our headcount planning, our business planning. And here's the outcomes if we do what we say we're going to do. And here's what will happen if we don't. Um, that is where the value is. So it's not about, hey, let's get rid of TA leaders because they're expensive and they don't do anything. Uh, it's about seeing the actual value and seeing it through what great looks like. Um, so that'd be in internally, uh, externally. Boy, um, I, I think there's a misperception out there and has been for a long time that to to be in management, be in leadership in TA, and this, this probably spans across the other verticals as well, is you have to be the best IC on the team. You have to produce the most hires. You have to, you know, all of those things are like check boxes to get to leadership. And to be honest, could that be true? Yes. Uh, but I also think that we talked about this earlier, the it factor. To be a, group, a good leader of people, it's not just about how many hires did you make when you were recruiting. It's about the soft skills. It's about understanding the big picture. It's about context. It's about clarity in, your, in how you communicate, how you build a strategy, how you build a plan. And a lot of times people learn that the hard way. They get into the role and they realize, whoa, this is not what I thought it would be. It's not just managing, you know, 
a desk of six recruiters and their rec loads, like you have to provide more value than that, or it's probably not going to last very long. So no, I mean, I I think that's a great point because as a leader, you have to shed all your selfishness as an, as an IC, because as an IC, you're out there blazing trails and recruiting and doing everything that you can to fill those positions. But as a leader, you've got to shed that selfishness to a certain degree and dedicate your role to helping other people become successful. And yeah. as you said, clearing a path for them to do their jobs both effectively and to the best of their ability. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a very good point. So I, not all great ICs make good leaders. And sometimes yeah. I think when you're a great IC, you should be careful what you wish for. The leadership role sometimes, you know, it provides a very different source of headaches, doesn't it? Uh, yes, <laughs> just say the least. <laughs> this episode of Recruiting Trailblazers is brought to you by Vertical Move. Picture this, a powerhouse team of 300 sourcing experts spanning the globe and working 24-7 a crack team of recruiters first performing AI-driven online skills assessments to guarantee identity and integrity, and second, conducting real-time paired programming evaluations with every software engineering candidate prior to submission to properly evaluate technical capability and client fit. This isn't just recruitment. It's a curated journey to find the perfect match. Vertical move. Talent you can trust or nothing at all. I will say this. When I had children, which not everybody will do or, or, you know, plans to do, but when I had children for me personally, it made me a better people leader in my job. Um, it made me more patient. It made me more empathetic. It made me more tired and learning how to work through <laughs> being tired. It, it, it really helped me in ways I didn't think was possible. Leadership. I totally agree with that. I have, I have children too. And, yeah. um, and I manage people as well. And it is, there are a lot of parallels. There are a lot of parallels. There they are. both and, help each other. Yeah. And, and you just like leadership, you know, uh, I think maybe that's another misconception. It's not all glitz and glamour. It's not all, you don't, you're not collecting all the accolades or you shouldn't be. Um, and if that is your end goal is to go into leadership and to, uh, you know, capture all the glory and to be the face. And that's, that's really your driving motivation two things are probably going to happen. You're going to burn out quick because it's never about you as a leader. It can't be. And, and number two, it's probably not going to turn out the way you thought it would. Um, I have seen un, been under the tutelage of both sides of like great leadership and maybe not, not the right motivation type leadership. And it becomes really clear really quickly uh, motive, motivations. And there's nowhere to hide. The higher up you go, there's nowhere to hide. You've got a target on your back. I mean, so yeah. you, you have to deliver. So yeah. let's move on. We're not hearing quite as much about servant leadership these days, you know, with the economy on the skids and everything. Um, as a leader, how do you navigate the thin line between supporting your team and ensuring the results expected yeah. of you by your leadership are met or exceeded? Communication. It, it's that simple. Um, I would absolutely put myself in servant leadership sort of category because that's just how I operate. Um, hopefully my teams <laughs> would say the same thing. I, I think they would, but um, it's all about communication. As a leader, you are just a higher level conduit between the top levels of the company and the macro you know, situation of the company and how the business is running and your team. 
And if you are not sort of, if there's any disconnection between that uh, line, you, you, you're probably not doing your job as a leader. Um, and so, you know, whenever I've gone in and taken on an existing team in TA, there's always some hesitation with the team. Like, Ooh, what's, what, how's this going to go? What's this person like? And one of the first things I tell them is that I'm, you know, it's not about me. It's about everybody. We are one team and that's how I'm going to show up. That's how I expect them to show up in return. How I'm going to make that happen is I'm going to be a really strong communicator with them. I'm going to tell them as much as I can about the business, about the goals, about their goals, the clarity that needs to be around it, why we're doing what we're doing, why, you know, this project matters, why this set of recs matters, why we're going global and opening a new office, whatever it may be. I'm going to communicate that as best as I can in, you know, as many channels as I can, because I've always found the most engaged employees are the ones that get to help build the castle, so to speak. And you can't build something if you don't have the tools and the knowledge of how to do that. Um, and so, you know, that conduit of like highest levels of the company C-suite, what they, their strategy is, you got to connect it with the people doing the work. If you don't, and it's a two-way, it's a two-way conversation. If you don't do that or you just do it one way, there, there's going to be a lot of hiccups. And in some cases, that can be millions of dollars or missed hiring targets or you know, implementing the wrong tool that's not actually what you need. Um, there's real business impacts. But communication to me has been the – I wouldn't even say secret weapon. It's been one of the, the tools that I go to time and time again because I – as an IC, so, I also yeah, so it. synchronous, synchronous as opposed to asynchronous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to have, you know, in any rhythm of the business, every day to day, you have to have like your Slack channels, right, where you can just async really quickly, get something done. But then you have to have clear processes and clear communication channels, clear documentation, you know, platforms, uh, Google, Google Drive, things like that, where communication isn't just you and I having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, it happens, you know, synchronous, asynchronous in many forums. And it's that ecosystem of communication and that uh, culture of communication that you build that ultimately allows everybody, you know, rising tide raises all boats. I mean, that's very cliche, but that is probably the best. Example. Okay. So um, we got to talk about AI for a second. Chat GPT, Bard, I mean, it's here to stay, isn't it? Where, where do you think they fit in best in the recruiter tech stack? And what kind of threat to the recruiter role do you think they represent? Yeah, where do they fit in best? Um, I mean, there's a lot of areas. Uh, I mean, recruiting is sales. It's heavily analytically driven, metrics driven, um, you know, outcomes driven. So I think there is a lot of opportunity for AI to augment what, real human recruiters are doing. And that to me is where the power is. And I think where we'll probably see the most um, advancement going forward with AI. Um, threats, I would say, um, if, I'm, if I'm being really, really honest, I think sourcing is probably the most at risk. Um, and, and I mean that by like sourcing function, sourcing role, if it is sort of truly just sourcing, like lead generation, candidate generation, there, there is absolutely technology out there today that can, you know, really replace that human touch there. Do I agree with it in all cases? No, 
I mean, this is a human business after all, but I, I think that technology can suffice and do a, a, a good enough job to where that may be at risk. Um, but I really see augmentation is, is the only path forward between AI and the human side of recruiting. Um, I mentioned them earlier, but Bright Hire to me is probably the most exciting uh, as a TA leader and just TA professional, probably the most exciting AI that is being used. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a speech to text platform essentially at its core for interviews, the face-to-face interviews, like, you know, this would be an interview, but this is a podcast, same, you know, they could, they can translate it, they can um, capture data, they can make um, inferences based off of it. And then the data that comes back from it is what I get really excited about. Um, And I think there's a huge, huge opportunity to improve uh, the way we interview, the efficiencies of it, the time savings, the um, make it more equitable for everybody. And it's all through real interviews, real conversations. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of positives to AI, but um, there's also a lot of fear out there in the market. Yeah, I'll definitely check out Bright Hire. In fact, uh, I'll put a call into them, see if they want to sponsor the episode. But um, <laughs> I, th- I think AI, when, it, when I'm talking to recruiters these days, the best advice I think I can give recruiters, whether you're an agency recruiter or an internal recruiter, is don't let AI replace you. Embrace AI. Figure out and become an expert in how you can utilize AI and chat GPT to do your job more efficiently and to put you in the seat to be doing the stuff that AI can't do now and hopefully won't be able to do in the future, which is the relationship development side, you know, the human contact side. And that's why recruiters still exist, because it's the human contact piece that really sort of comes at the bottom of the funnel. You, you can automate some of the stuff at the top of the funnel, including sourcing. But still, you know, sources today are still incredibly valuable. Great sources are still incredibly valuable. Yep. You know, that might go away. But what isn't going to go away is your ability as a recruiter to be able to communicate in a human fashion, you know, with candidates and, and clients and obviously internal stakeholders as well. The, yeah, the term talent advisor uh, gets thrown around a lot. And like, what does that mean to be a talent advisor? I, I think that connecting back to our earlier points about the it factor uh, and the current topic of AI, the, you know, this is, this is a term thrown out there a lot, but, or a phrase, I guess I would say is, you know, AI is not going to replace recruiting. Recruiters that learn AI will replace recruiters. Uh, that, you know, in some, some form and fashion, I think it's true. And the folks that have it factor that are curious, that are owners that really want to learn, they're going to learn those tools. They're going to adapt. They're going to adopt and they're going to be just fine. Um, you know, and on the flip side of that, some won't and, and that's okay if that's their choice, but those probably will be where AI has a sort of negative impact on, on the industry. Yeah, brilliant. We've got time for one more question. There was a period a couple of years ago, which I call irrational exuberance, when corporate America you know, decided that the solution to growth was to hire as many recruiters as possible. Now those days are behind us. What do you think the best strategy for the next upturn is in terms of building out the talent acquisition function and, and maybe you know, taking a more flexible approach and using external services such as RPOs or agencies or contractors? Mm-hmm. Where do you think this whole thing is headed? Yeah, I, I think that what you just said is um, it kind of always has been the right playbook. Um, but when growth at all costs is the message, 
from, you know, the market, from investors, and it's pushed down in such a way that you have no uh, recourse but to just react. I think what we see is is the last few years uh, where it's just higher, 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 higher. And it tends to be full-time, in-house. It's comfortable. I can control the resources. I know that they don't have sort of ulterior motives. And they're not looking for a commission check, right? They're there to support the company, build the brand, you know, build the candidate experience. And that's, I think, why we see these cycles of empire building, uh, as a lot of people would say, and building huge teams. And um, where I think we're headed, or at least I hope we're headed, is a a more balanced approach with uh, resources, internal, uh, tooling, and what that can provide in terms of process efficiency, scale, and then augmentation of external resources, RPOs. Um, there's sort of new modern versions of RPOs, even maybe consultants, um, to help augment what internal teams are doing, what the tools are doing. But I, I do think that the days, at least for the foreseeable future, of just go hire more recruiters and hire managers that can manage large teams is probably over for now. And, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. Um, but here's, here's the challenge. Uh, if businesses are going to go that route, which I think probably is smart for business and more efficient, you have to have leaders in TA that are not just managers. You have to have strategic leaders that have been there and done that, that they, they're, they're almost like an ops meets people leader uh, put together and they can formulate a strategy, formulate a plan and execute that plan. But they, they've got to have the understanding of, of tooling and how to put a whole ecosystem together because if they don't, it's going to be really hard to have all those verticals, all those pillars of TA owned uh, and, and working, you know, effectively together. So yes. You need to be a true talent strategist these days. You need to understand both the art and the science of the discipline and to be able to tie that all together into a team that works and to be able to hire the right people, obviously. And you, and you have to understand workforce planning and how to influence the workforce plan because I have sat in many a room with finance and top-level leaders in workforce planning discussions and basically been pounding my fists on the table saying, if we do this, this is what's going to happen and it's not going to end well. And sometimes I've been heard, sometimes I haven't. And I think what we're seeing right now is way overshot the runway and we hired too many people and now it's course correction and TA ends up paying the price. But, but I think TA needs to have much more of a voice at the table when it comes to workforce planning, capacity planning, headcount planning, um, because it, it really can make or break a business and it, it can also save a brand from having to lay off half their company if they do it right and they do it smart. Yeah. So. so you've got to be part recruiter, part leader, part technologist and part HRBP. It's Roll why that I all up into one. <laughs> it, it's why I don't want to be a CHRO anytime soon, because I have to say in today's you know era, I think they have one of the hardest jobs there is in the C-suite in any role. I mean, it is really, really hard. It's very nebulous. It's changing all the time. And they are asked to be a recruiting expert at the table with the C-suite often when they're frankly not experts and they wouldn't say they are. 
And so it's, uh, <laughs> that's a, not for the faint of heart, uh, no. for sure. Indeed. Well, Logan Marsh, thank you very much for coming along to Recruiting Trailblazers today. I encourage everybody to visit Logan's LinkedIn profile and read some of those articles I cited earlier. It's been great to have this chat with you today and we'll keep in touch and speak again soon. Awesome. Likewise, Marcus. Thanks. Cheers then. <laughs>